We're carrying on with our series in Exodus. Um, I don't know about you, but I think one of the hardest things about being human is the extremes of behavior that we're capable of. Do you know what I mean? By that, it's, it's like you can be a f- football hooligan and you can be a doting dad. You can, you can have great love and compassion and empathy or you can be hateful and sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, these things come together. Do you know what I mean? These things can drift really quickly into each other. And it's amazing, I think, how little, I don't know if you have this, how little needs to change in your circumstances of life before your behavior totally alters and spirals out of all recognition. We were coming back from the long drive to France. Um, yeah, I don't like flying. I need to get past it. Come on, Ash. You know, I'm a faithful pastor. I need to get on a plane, but drove down to the south of France, and what's amazing is just the, the mood swings that is possible within that. Just incredible. Like we had, and it's just the littlest, tiniest things, like the sun's out a little bit, and we didn't have to pay money that we thought we were going to have to pay, and I had a sugary drink, and everybody had a sugary drink, and we, had a, we, were, we were singing a spontaneous holiday joyful song. That's what happened. It was like, we didn't, the kids started singing We're Going on a Summer Holiday, didn't really know the words, and kind of went off into a tangent, but we sang for like 20 minutes. Then it started raining, our sugar levels dropped, I went the wrong way, and we questioned our very existence on earth. That's what happened. It was just like that. I, was, I, w- I went through Paris. Bad move, big time, bad move. And, I'm, and, the, and he started to chuck it down. And I'm, and I'm saying to Jude, we should never, have, like, this is where I went to. This is life, isn't it? I went, we should never have come to France. That was where I got to. I went from, I'm going on a summer holiday and I'm high, I, in a legitimate sense of the word, to I question my very being on this earth. And this is kind of how we are as people. And part of the challenge of life, this is kind of what happens when you grow up, is is coping with the fact that you live in this body with these extremes. That's, that's kind of my, that's what wisdom I'm trying to pass on to my kids. You know, you're going to have these, you're going to cry, you're going to laugh. You know, I see my girls growing up, I see my boy growing up, I'm like, you're going to just need to work this stuff out. This is going to be tricky stuff. Really clever and poetic genius, Rudyard Kipling says, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters the same, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man. My son, he sort of says, this is what life's about. But he kind of gets to the poem, he writes the poem, if, in a lot of respects, one of the themes that run through it is because we are these people that kind of can be awesome and can be amazing and can cope with anything and can dream big, and we can be almost instant in the same moment or a couple of days later, people that fall off a cliff. Today's passage is a long passage, but it's nice to hear the... Matt's Northern Irish accent, and it's good to hear the Word of God, and it's good to hear that story, because there was a contrast between the behavior of the people, I hope you noticed it, like a sharp, incredible difference in how they coped. They were extremes of behavior that were akin to the the behaviors in my car. And we're going to see as we sort of progress through these two stories what it's like to be a human being. With all these, I can cope with anything, I'm going to fall off a cliff, I'm singing about holidays, I hate myself, emotions, and know God. We're going to see where God sits in all of that. So here's the story, here's what the people know. So I want you to try and 
as I try and help you explain this story, get yourself into the story. They were, were up to this fifth, chapter 15 in Exodus, and the Red Sea has happened, and the people are on the other side of the shoreline. That's kind of where this talk's going to take place. They're on the shore, looking back, and they've been saved by God. He's heard their cry. God's might has been seen in just an awesome way. They've kind of known God in an amazing way. That's what's happened to you. Their enemies, the Egyptians, have been laid waste. The water's shut back in again. And they've just had this breathtaking sense of who God is. Just this awesome delivery. And they've got this earth-forming God in their corner. They've got, they've got to see this. And this earth-forming God has told them via Moses that they're going to end up in the promised land. That's what he said. You're gonna, that's going to happen. That's where you're going to go. They know all of this. That's what they know. Here's what they do. Two things that they do. I want to just acknowledge them, sort of break them down a little bit later on, but acknowledge them now. They've got this spontaneous, heartfelt, triumphant, happy, like me in the car, singing my heart out. Miriam grabs the tambourine. You get your lighters in the air if you had one. Just this awesome moment. God is with us and we can celebrate. Awesome. It's amazing. They've got that moment. Then, notice in the text, the, the guy that penned these words bothers to tell us the days all the time. He said, three days later, they fall off a cliff. They get thirsty. That's all it is. They get thirsty. They think the whole thing, just like me in the car, they think the whole thing's been a mistake and they want their money back. They start grumbling. And there's three stories that will come together. We're just going to do one of them, but there's three stories that come together and they're put together because the, the author wants us to know that these people go to grumbling quickly. These emotions, these extreme emotions of life seem to come together. They can sing behind a kite and they can drop through the floor. It's the same for us, I think. I want us to consider this. I think the Bible's going to help us out working through it, but I want us to consider it. We can experience the certainty of God in our lives, can't we? You know, you had that, different, you maybe look back at different parts of your life, you've had, you've just, you've been like, yeah, God, that was God. I know that was him. I know that. He brought me through that. It was not anybody else. That thing that happened, I can attribute to God definitely. And we can have that certainty, and the next day it can fall apart. We can sing like we've done here. Just before I get up, we sing like that. And I'm telling you, without a lot happening, without a lot changing, without a lot of different things coming in, we can, those truths that we sing and want to join in with action-wise, want to just embrace in our hearts, will just dissipate. Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're gone. This is what it's like for us. So today we're going to try and pick up a few lessons about what it's like to be a human being like this and to know God. And Paul told us last week about the start of a journey of faith. So that was where we were last week. We were right at the start of this trip through the wilderness. What would that look like? We're going to get a bit of a glimpse of what it's like a bit further down the road when the start of it and the inspiring moments drift into the background a bit. We're going to get a bit of a look at that. I've got two points as is kind of my way in it because it's just what I'm like and it just helps me, but it might be good things for you to think about. And really, that's the sermon. I'm going to be a couple of minutes on each point, but you'll be able to hang your thoughts on them. First point is because we know what God's done, we're going to know what he's going to do. That's the first thing. And God's, and God's word's going to make it clear that we've got to see that. Because we know what God has done, we know what he's going to do. And the second point kind of flips it all back around and says, because we know what we're like, we're going to need to remember what God's done. 
because we've got a glimpse of our human selves, we're going to need to remember what God's done. So it's the first point. First point's going to be five to ten minutes. Second point's going to be five to ten minutes. You can go home, praise God, and learn your lessons. All the rest of it be good. Stay with us. Okay, so the first thing, first point, because we know what God's done, uh, we know what he'll do. So we can sing with real joy. I want us just to place ourselves on the shoreline for a second. I've kind of already inter- intimated at it a little bit already. The military might of Egypt, for however long, has just been your captors. Just, they just had you nailed down, bombarded you. The most powerful empire in the world, their army is in the ocean. And you're on the shoreline looking back at this miracle of God's provision. And then this, this thing happens, and it's where I want us to place ourselves a little bit. They sing. I want us just to think about singing for a couple of minutes. I don't know about you, but when I, so when I read this, when I read this through, and I, I see, and I see it in my mind's eye, I see Moses get up to sing, because it's Moses that starts to sing. It sounds like it's a bit of back and forth. And I find it a bit weird that singing, I think, is one of those things that can be a bit weird and unnatural, and yet it's perfectly the most natural thing in all the world. Do you ever watch the start of a musical? And maybe this is just a guy thing, or maybe it's a me thing. You watch the start of a musical. I remember seeing Lemmy's and seeing Russell Crowe come on, like just this hero guy, and I see him walk towards, yeah, he's a hero of mine, and he looks towards the screen, and I'm thinking, don't sing, Russell. Don't, I can't watch you anymore if you sing like that. And he starts to sing, it looks like a weird thing, but actually singing. And maybe, um, maybe I'll be put right in heaven, but it, as far as my, you know, end times, eschatological view is it feels like we're going singing we will do forever singing is something that is just deep within us somehow you know what I mean you don't have to orchestrate the song oftentimes do you go to the football match the team score nobody's saying and now we're going to sing that doesn't happen does it people just sing if you're at work you're a joiner or something like that you're having a good day sun's shining things are going well you just sing singing something that happens spontaneously and these people Moses is in this spot where God has been good and it's been seen and they start to sing let's read what they sing let's drink before we read I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I'll praise him. My Father's God, and I'll exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, this is some song in it. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's army and his chariots, he has thrown them into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. I mean, it's a bit dark, but it's a song of joy. They They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. What's the the nation of this song? They're saying, there is no more. It's a song of relief, I think. They're singing, there's no more battle here possible. Look what God has done. The horse and its rider are at the bottom of the sea. The army is at the bottom of the sea. We can't fight these people anymore because there are no more people to fight. Look at what God has done. He's taken the battle and he's given us this victory. A fight that was unwinnable is won. And everything's changed for these people now in this moment. Everything has changed. 
in a sense, even though they're still on a journey, they're not in the promised land yet, they're still heading towards the promised land. Because God can do this, this is the thing I want us to think about. Because God can do this, because God has done this, because he's won this battle, these people can be confident that they are going to reach the promised land. That's the position that they're in. There's, there's troubles ahead. We're going to read about them. If you read through the book of Numbers, you read through them in more detail. But there's troubles ahead. But because of what God's done, that changes everything for these people. So they can face the future with confidence. So they sing on a little bit later on in the passage. And I don't know the verse, so it's going to make the tech team work for it. I'm really sorry. On oh, it's 12. That you stretch out your right hand. They sing on confidently. This is, this is what they can sing about. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be a stone until your people pass by, Lord. You will bring them and you will plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for their dwelling, the sanctuary your hands have established. So they can look, think about where they are. So they've not encountered these people yet. It kind of reads to me at least like it's prophetic, like they're looking into the future. That's how at least I read it. They've not encountered the Philistines or the Moabites, and we know about the Philistines. You know about Goliath and his mates? They're big dudes. They're, they're not people you take lightly. We know that they're going to have to probably pass right through Moab. The Moabites aren't going to be pleased about that. We know that there's troubles ahead. This is what the story's saying. There's big troubles ahead, and yet because of what God has done, we can sing. Because God has delivered us like this over the Red Sea, because he's done that, we can sing confidently about the future. That's what they're singing about. A nation without kind of any provisions, a compass, food and water, even the basic things can sing confidently about a future because of what God has done. They can look towards the promised land as this certainty. I want to make two points just sort of reflecting back onto this story. First one is this. Faith is something, is not something that we fight to achieve. Faith is something that is already won. Our, our salvation our position in Christ is not something that we fight to attain. Sometimes it feels a bit like that as a Christian, doesn't it? Or sometimes we, we live lives that look like that. We think that somehow we can, by works, we can kind of beat the devil down, beat the darkness down and get ourselves into heaven. But faith, salvation is not like that. We stand, metaphorically speaking, with the Israelites on the edge of the Red Sea, looking back at the Red Sea, knowing there's no way they could have got across there. Knowing they were absolutely done for without the help of God, without the intervention of a holy God. There was no chance. There was no way for these people. This was not a battle that they could win, but they stand, and this is, and this is, this is I think, why we sing. This is why we sing so often, because we sing with them, because we look back at what God has done, and we say, yeah, that was God's work. And, and, and one of the reasons why most of our songs acknowledge that, and we have to sing, and, and, and Boyd will sort of bang the drums, and the people will sing. We have to say, yeah, look what God has done. We have to remind ourselves because we forget, and we go away, and we think we achieved this. 
It doesn't mean that we're not changed and reshaped and reformed by the wonderful grace of God, but this is not something, this is not a fight that we take to anybody. This place that we occupy is one, is one where we do a big exhale and we say, thank you, God, because there's no way I could have done that. That's the first thing. Second thing is that future troubles are going to come, but God will get us there. The people, the Israelites, looked towards, they could sing with confidence. And it's almost foolhardy confidence. If, if you're singing that out loud and you've not seen Goliath or you've not seen some Philistines, it sounds foolish. We're going to have great victories. And we read through numbers. We read how much trouble there was there. But they can sing with such confidence because they know that victory is assured. Here's the thing for me. Here's the rub. Here's the thing I think I've got to tell you as your pastoral assistant, your assistant pastor, wherever I am. It's that I don't know how you're going with your faith. You look like you're doing awesome right now. You're at church. That's a good start, good place to be. I don't, I don't know what's going on at home, whatever else is happening, but the thing I do know, and I'm finding this out as I get 40 next year, and the stories, that, the things that are happening to my friends are that troubles, troubles come, difficult things come, really difficult things come, things that you don't want in your life come. And you say that thing, you say, you say, oh, as a Christian, I can cope with this, but if that happened to me, I don't know how I'd cope. Well, here's the thing. That's going to happen to you, the worst stuff. As we get older, we're a pretty young church, but as we get older, this, this stuff happens. The difficulties of life are going to come. We're going to struggle in relationships, disease and death and everything, and the horrible stuff of life is going to come. So I think about my faith right now, and I think, yeah, I'm going good I'm reading my Bible well, I'm, I ought to do, I'm pastor and everything else, man. I'm praying and all the rest of it, but I'm, you know, something happens to somebody in my family or me, I, I don't know. And yet, this story reminds us, and it reminds me as I think about what I need to do with it, is that because of what God has done, because of the victory that he's won, I can stand with you guys and I can sing confidently about my future. Not because it's going to be easy. Not because I'm not going to run into a Goliath or a Moabite who's really angry that I'm passing through his land, but because of what God has done. I know I'm going to get there. So something terrible happens to me. Something terrible happens to somebody I love. I stand on the promises of God and he says, I will get you there. And I need to encourage you to go back to the promises of God because troubles will come. Last thing I want to say about this song, and it's by way of an encouragement. It's a beautiful thing. It's a thing that moved me when I realized it in the week, reading a few commentaries. This song that Miriam and Moses strike up now, I don't know how spontaneous it was, but you read through the Bible and it keeps coming back. So it's in the songbook, it's in the Psalms, and it keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back, and then we read about it in Revelation 15. And when we read about stuff in Revelation 15, what we're saying is this song is sung in eternity. We're going to sing this song. I hope you, I hope you like it. <laughs> I hope it's a good one. You're going to, if you're coming with us to heaven, you're going to have to sing this song forever. And as I read that, I'm like, man, that is amazing. You know, I, God bless her, Kylie, she endures. You know, she's had some good hits. You know, and the, she keeps coming back. I reckon she'll, she'll be bursting a tune out when she's 80. She'll still have some new move that she's coming out with. And we'll all enjoy it. And it's like, yeah, but sooner or later, it's going to disappear. Everyone's going to forget about it. These songs that we sing, when we are moved by God's Spirit, when we are singing spiritual truths, we're going to sing them for eternity. We get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of forever. 
It's an amazing thing. So that's the song. And then comes, so that's the high. Done the high. Three days later, fall off a cliff. When I'm, when I'm reading this through and I'm studying it in the week, it reminded me a little bit of what it's going to be like for England fans. In a, in a, anytime soon, you know what I mean? We're going to be, we're going to, there's going to be this, we're going to have a, there'll be a song that the fans make up. We're all going to sing it. We're going to get excited. We're going to roll with it. And then all of a sudden we're going to get beat and then we're going to fall off a cliff. And then we're going to, somebody will say, we need to have a root and branch inquiry as to how this has happened. You know what I mean? We'll be high as kites and then we'll be low. That's the reality. Second point, because we know what we're like, we need to be reminded of what God's done. Watch the way that the people experience the extremes of life's emotions. Moses led them. Uh, Moses led them. It's Exodus 15:22. Moses led them from the Red Sea. They went into the desert of Shur for three days. They traveled in the desert without finding water. Just water. I guess you're going to be thirsty after three days. You're going to want to drink. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink again. I read that and I shouldn't have made this mistake. I read it for the first time. I thought, that's odd. God shows him a piece of wood. That's the answer. But think about it. Why does he show him a piece of wood? It's because he's saying, remember in Egypt? Remember Moses when I gave him that other piece of wood, that staff? This is still me. And you've forgotten about me. And you've had three days, two minutes, and you've already forgotten about me and you started grumbling. This is still me. I'm still here. I'm still your provider. Don't grumble. And the water becomes sweet. That must have been a nice drink. I think, having driven down to France, not having a drink for a few hours, that must have been a nice wet of the lips. A few lessons that I think this story helps us consider. Sort of sharply reminds us as of, as of what humans can be like in the extremes of life. We can be awesome and high and happy and contented with God and singing his praises, and we can fall off the cliff, and we can struggle to get our heads above water. Here's one of the ways that we do that. We make our assessments of God based on the circumstances that we face right now. We make our assessment of God and, and what we might think of him based on the circumstances that are right in front of us right now. You see what the people do? All this stuff's happened. God's been awesome for a long time. They've seen his miracles. There's just no doubt about the fact that this was God and yet they get to a place, a couple of days, where they've not got food and they base their whole theological perspective on what is happening right now. We can't get a drink of water, therefore we'd be better off in Egypt. Says that later on in one of the other stories. You should have let us just die in Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. That was better. That was a better outcome. Dismiss God. We do that, don't we, sometimes, I think. I think one of the messages that the Bible helps us to see, one of the things it wants us to see is to try and challenge this, idea, this, this thing that we do. We, we sometimes place ourselves, our whole story, in whatever's happening this week. Whatever's going on this week sort of determines everything. This is a rubbish week, and, and it can happen, and, and I'm questioning my faith, and I'm questioning everything else, and I'm not talking to them again, and all this stuff can happen. And I think the Bible would challenge us, as, as we read it through, to keep ourselves in the big Bible picture. I think this is one of the things we could do. I think, I think as human beings, we just intrinsically go, here's the most, here's the most, Here's the most biggest obstacle I can see, the thing that's right in front of my nose. I'm going to base all my thinking around that. And God says, please 
don't do that. Please place yourselves back in the Bible story. Please remember that I created this world and I will wrap things up at the end. Please remember the things you sing on a Sunday. First thing. Second thing that we do is that even when, even when we experience the miracles of God, we, we quickly forget it. And we see that in this story. We see the speed, three days, at which God's awesomeness can be forgotten about, but it's a mirror towards the way that we live our lives. God works in incredible ways in our lives. I said it already at the start. Sometimes, especially on the back of the way we've just sang that song, the truths that we've just claimed, and the way that we've kind of claimed it and sang with this big smile, soaking up the truths about a holy God. But it's, and this is me too when I'm vacuuming up on Monday morning, it's incredible how quickly that these truths that we cling to can kind of dissipate throughout the week. By Wednesday afternoon, we we're gone. God says to us in this moment, he says to Israel, and he says it to Israel over and over again, remember the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He says to them, and he's clear and he's fierce, he says, remember what I've done. And he says to us, New Testament text, he says, remember what I have done when you're thinking about drifting off and shrinking back. He says, look at the cross. It's a great book. The end of the uh, End of the New Testament, Hebrews, it's like a tough read, and there's like big theological truths, but what you get dotted every, like periodically throughout the book are just these simple warnings. Bible says, and, he's, and, 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 as, and as this book is written, it's got what's happening to Israel in mind. It says, pay careful attention to what you have heard so that you don't drift away. It says, how, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? It says, hold on unswervingly to the faith you profess. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is just like a handful of verses. And then the one that really bounced out on me this week, Hebrews 6, 19, says, we have a hope as an anchor for the soul. We have a hope that, that places us from our soul, the soul, the thing that operates deep within inside us, that, grind, that grounds us, that keeps us grounded. It says you've got the hope. And, and I think the point I'm trying to make is that we've got to hold on to the story of the gospel and the truth of the cross with our souls, with our innermost being. The Bible says we need to remember what God has done because we're going to drift up. Last point on this story. We often, we often end up learning about God. And this is kind of the point that the text is making, I think. These are the desert stories. This is why we've got to go through this stuff and get here. We often end up learning about God in the hard times of life. This is kind of what the text says. It, it kind of says, it'd be really great if they just went straight to the promised land. It'd be really great. That's what I've told them to do. Go straight there. Read numbers. It helps you out. Get there. It's just, I just said go straight to the promised land, I'm going to give it into your hands, and they don't do that. And part of what this text says to us, I think, is that this is what we do. We end up in the desert. It may well be where you end up, but it often can be a really helpful learning curve. I guess we'd, we'd, rather, learn, we'd rather learn our theology, we'd rather get back to God when we're having a can of Coke and just in the nice shade of the day, and it all is rosy in our lives, we'd rather, we'd rather come to God like that, but the way that God speaks to us often, or the way, the way that we end up receiving him often, is in the desert of life, because we choose to end up not listening to him 100%, drifting off the path, and end up 
in tough times. Why is this? It's because, and I think this should be a challenge to us, the desert stories are there, I think, in some respects to be a challenge to us. It's because we don't seek him with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls. We don't pay attention to what he's done. We pay attention to what we're doing and what's going on in our week, and we drift off into the desert, and we find ourselves there. He is one of the messages, I think, that we've got to take from the desert. And I don't know if you, if you look back on your life now, maybe you're looking at how your face going, and you say, well, maybe I'm not listening to a not listen to him 100%, so maybe I'm in the desert right now. Maybe that's where I'm at. I think one of the big warnings that the Bible gives us about the desert, even though it's, it's a place where, where God's people are tested and they find out about God and they understand about God, is the big lesson is don't stay there. A bunch of these people are not going to get to the promised land. They're not going to get there. That lesson's not there for us to ignore. If if you're, kind of, if you're kind of wandering through your, and this is kind of like tough challenge of, of Christian faith, but if your faith is something that you're just like ambling through, your heart's quite hard, you're in and out, um, sort of getting into your Bible and, and talking to God. Here's, here's the challenge of the desert. It's don't harden your heart. Don't stay in this place. This place might be where you changed. This place may be where I grab hold of you. This place may be where I steer you again. It might be that you had to get here because you're a human being living in the extremes of life. But don't stay here forever because who knows where that's going to leave you. And this whole story brings to mind, I think, the awesome grace of the gospel. Think about Jesus as he appears on the scene in time future. And he looks at the world, he looks at the Jewish nation, and we see in Romans 1 and John 1 that he sees a nation and a bunch of people who, who would rather stay in the desert. That's the truth of it. This, this nation, he looks at him and he said, you'd rather be wandering around in the desert, that's your choice. And he sees a world like that he sees how the world has decided to live and he says, I'm still coming. There's still a way for you. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus comes and he sees the world and he sees a world that says, no, I'd rather wander off. And he really should go, okay, I'm not coming. And he still comes and there is a way back for us if we don't know him at this point. You've got this storyline. We'll wrap it up here. You've got this storyline of a bunch of people, a nation who are looking for God to speak to them. And the way that they're looking for him is they're saying, we, know, we, we can recognize him because he provides for us. That's how we can see him. That's how we're going to know he's coming. We've seen him in the desert. He, he, he looks after us and he brings us food, and he gives us water. And, and this, is the, this is kind of a backstory that runs throughout, throughout Israel and throughout the Hebrew people. They know that that's how God works. And then Jesus arrives, and he starts to talk, and he says, I am the bread of life. And a few eyes prick up, and they think, all right, that's interesting. And Jesus meets a woman, John 4, who's thirsty, desperate for a drink. And Jesus says to her, I can... I can give you a drink, it's fine. I can give you a drink that means that you're never going to thirst again. He's saying this provision that you're looking for, I can meet, you can find it in me. Jesus sees 5,000 men 
and he's talking to them, and it's, you know, it's probably a whole bigger crowd than that, and they've got nothing to eat, and Jesus, with just five loaves and two fishes, feeds everybody. And we kind of get lost in the miracle of what that is, but Jesus is saying something way bigger than that. Jesus is saying, I am the provision. I am the provider. And God is saying to us through his words and through the person of Jesus Christ, I'm providing again. I'm making a way again. There's hope again, even though there's troubles ahead. You're going to need to trust him again. But for those who do, he's going to get you there.